excited for this. It's a topic I'm very, uh, I'm very passionate about. Uh, alternative asset investing is actually one of the things that have gotten me, uh, kind of inspired me to get into venture capital investing and starting the Angelist Syndicate. Um, and we've and we've been very active um, in and around the space. And it's something I've personally been involved in for a very long time. So let's kick things off. Uh, let's start with a round of introductions. Uh, Michael, if you if you don't mind getting started, let's 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 jump right in. Hey guys, uh, Drew and everyone at Redbeard uh, and other thanks for putting this together. Super excited. Uh, I'm Michael, CEO and founder of Belay. Uh, Belay is a, we work with brokerage platforms, uh, uh, equity platforms, and we sell their customers at the point of checkout downside protection on their investments. It's a traditional insurance policy, just like flight insurance or Apple Care on checkout. So a user comes in, buys two and a half shares of Tesla or whatever the equity is or whatever the, no the denomination is, and we're able to sell them an insurance policy. And if they sell at a loss, we reimburse them back into their account what that loss is. So they don't have to think about the complexity or uh, have to worry about whatever's going on in the back end. And since it's an A-rated reinsured policy, they're always guaranteed a payout. Awesome. Daniel. Lost your video and you're muted. <laughs> Daniel, while you're getting your stuff back together, Eric. Hey, Drew. Great to see you. Uh, Daniel, I'll turn back to you as soon as I'm done. Yep. Uh, founder and CEO of Alto. For the first kind of five years of our life, we made it possible for individuals to access their retirement savings to invest in alternative assets. We've got about 30,000 clients and 1.2 plus billion under management. Um, in at the end of Q4 of last year, and of course, moving into this year, we got our broker dealer license, we've launched our marketplace, and now we're making it easy for individuals to discover and access those opportunities they previously maybe didn't have uh, visibility into or access into on their own or through their own network. And so now you can come to Alto, go to our marketplace, and you can find those opportunities there. And mm -hmm. Uh, what's also fun is you can use both your IRA and non-IRA money now. So new development there. That's awesome. Uh, Daniel. I am uh, Daniel Chiani, the founder, co-founder and CEO of NoRamp. Um, we built uh, payment infrastructure that is the first ever to be truly interoperable between traditional finance rails and blockchain, um, all with... The, the hope of just making the space that much easier for you know non-Web3 people to access, but more so making it easier for enterprises and other businesses with lots of users to leverage the technology without needing to compromise on their existing user experience. Um, we've been in private beta since last April. We've processed multiple millions of dollars of uh, volume, and I think we'll probably be moving out of private beta at the end of this quarter or early next quarter. Um, we also have other onboarding tools that we built, lots of wallet infra. Um, so just really focused on, you know, more solving the onboarding problem, but more so solving the interoperability issues that the space has faced since inception. Okay, I'm not great. sure who goes next. Uh, let's do it, uh, Shalin. Hi, everyone. My name is Shalin Madan. I am the co-founder and chief growth officer for Medium. I am also the chairman of the Digital Assets Committee for the Hedge Fund Association. Um, Formidium is a pioneering Web3 native accounting firm, a uh, very exciting uh, place, of course, accounting. 
We specialize in all aspects of Web3 accounting. That includes startup and corporate accounting uh, to third-party fund administration for hedge funds, VC funds, etc. Um, we have uh, over 600 clients in the Web3 space, so I think that we're probably the largest in the space. Um, we solve a pain point that traditional accounting can't solve, which is namely the integration of digital assets within the accounting ledger. Uh, this is a problem that nobody has been able to crack. Uh, we are one of the few, if not the only one. Um, we also have a uh, marketplace of funds that we launched called altsmarketplace.com, uh, where we have over 700 now members that uh, we are complementing not only with the digital portal, but uh, meetups and a big conference that we are going to be hosting in October, most likely this year. Okay. Okay. Great. And then Rob. Hey guys, I'm Rob Petrozo. I'm the uh, co-founder and chief product officer at Rally. So Rally is uh, the the easy way to explain it is kind of a stock market for collectibles, and that's all things collectibles. So starting in 2016, we kind of invented this way to turn anything into essentially a security. So that could be anything from a classic car, or a baseball card, all the way to NFTs and intellectual property, and we do that fractional. So everything is um, has a market cap the same way a stock would but you buy and sell shares in these assets for $20, $30, $40. Um, so we've been doing that for the better part of six or seven years. And obviously a lot's happened in the space since then. So now we're at a point that uh, obviously the self-driven alternative asset investing is way, way more prevalent than it was when we started, which is a good thing to see for sure. All right, so I just wanna jump right in first by starting. Maybe Rob, you can touch on this a little bit. How big is the opportunity? What's the market for alternative assets like collectibles, art, real estate? You know, and, and what is really shifting the interest and demand? What's been the big shift here? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. You think about, about total addressable market. When we first started the business, we were going out and starting with classic cars and we were saying, you know, $10 billion market. And then we started going into other, pay, like, you know, other collectibles, museum quality stuff. And now the, the TAM starts to expand. We actually kind of um, toned it down in like the early pitches because if you include art and real estate, the things that I think everybody's always kind of looked at and said, these are investment worthy assets. These are the things that belong in a portfolio as an alternative. You're talking trillions. And when you start throwing numbers around like that, VCs look at you crazy. So we never did that, but that's kind of where it's gotten to. I think that the failure of imagination early on was that people would have these things in a portfolio. I think what happened is over the course of the last five or six years, as sort of you know self-directed investing in equities became the norm, and it was no longer about what CNBC was telling you to do and, and kind of the one or two big companies that owned everything. And as crypto started to proliferate throughout every single aspect of, of conversation, all the way down to you know grandmothers having it in their portfolio, and being looked at as a real thing. And now we have you know, ETFs and you have this whole sort of it's here to stay type of mantra that didn't exist. The next logical space for us when we thought about alternatives, I think as, a, as, a, as an investment community was always in collectibles. And it's the one thing that A, it's always had the nostalgia. It's always had kind of like, you know, the, the remember a time when I could have bought X for, for X amount of dollars and now it's gone crazy. But the information and the access to the information has gotten so drastically better than it was even four or five years ago. So the ability to sort of go on any social platform and learn a little bit about any of these individual asset classes has changed the dynamic where now everyone knows self-directed investing. They understand that they're going to be the ones in charge of their portfolio. All these alternatives that were really on the fringe are now commonplace in conversation. And they're way easier to access. And that's opened up this door for a lot of people who know it best. We have people on our platform that are 18, 19 years old they'll tell you every single detail about the 1990s era Ferrari to the point that they know more than the collector who has 20 or 30 of them. I think that's what's kind of changed the dynamic dramatically over the last three or four years for sure. The access to information and now platforms like ours where you can really put your money where your mouth is. No doubt about it. 
Uh, Eric, what do you think are the inefficiencies that exist in these asset classes? Like, and like, where is technology coming in to be able to solve this and, and bring this all closer together? Well, I feel like that's a softball, but I appreciate it. Drew. I, I, I got you. I got you, brother. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, I just want to, you know, nail home the point that Rob was making. I, I think alternative assets today are probably a five trillion dollar uh, market opportunity, and I don't think we should shy away from the from the T um, in 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 that statement. Um, you know, if you think about the U.S. population. Uh, 74, 75% of us um, have the bulk of our investable assets sitting in retirement accounts. IRAs make up the largest part of retirement accounts today, give or take $13 trillion relative to 401ks, which are the second largest segment. You know, it's sort of eight to eight to nine trillion. Um, all of that is to say that the hardest thing to do in the alternative asset sector has been this ability to self-direct by accessing your retirement uh, savings and then investing in alternative assets. And it, it was hard for a lot of reasons. Most people don't know that um, when ERISA was created in the early 1970s, um, the, the regulations and the, and the law enabled individuals to basically invest in just about anything. But uh, traditional custodians, as we know them, Fidelity, Schwab, uh, et cetera, they don't like to be involved with alternative assets because it's not cookie cutter. It's uh, people heavy, it's paper heavy, it's process heavy. Um, and, uh, you know, for about 40 to close to 50 years, nobody ever tried to address that inefficiency. And, you know, I, I said the question was sort of a softball because that's what we did at Alta, right? We stepped in, we tried to rip the people and the paper out, build appropriate workflow processes that could scale so that millions of people could do this rather than just tens of thousands. And so, you know, when you when you combine that with um, the back office that Formidium's doing with accounting solutions and uh, other folks that are doing with subscription docs, you know, I, I think it's it's getting a lot a lot easier than it than it used to be. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, uh, Shailene, something I want to talk about with you a little bit was like, how do we think about what do you think the like the opportunity is to reimagine or enhance the investor experience, you know, for various different alt asset or for di various different alternative asset classes? Like, how do we continue to improve the experience for investors to get to get involved and, and participate? Where do you think the uh, the biggest opportunities are there? Well, first of all, it's probably no secret that the investor experience is a nightmare. Um, you know, we have this new asset class, this, this next generation asset class, for lack of a better description, that's still using kind of an antiquated rails for actually investing. Um, so, you know, I'm a co-founder of this firm, uh, mentioned I'm chairman of the Digital Assets Committee. I'm also an ex-hedge fund manager. And so I invest my own money. I go through this process and it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think that the one thing that we can do on the investor experience, for, for example, is just moving completely into a digitized workflow for actually subscribing to um, investments. That is, you know, um, 
you know, it doesn't even need to be said. We've actually developed software around that. It's called Common Subdoc, which um, you know was just mentioned, and and uh, you know we're very proud of it. All of our clients get it. It's it's part of our fund admin package, and they love it. Um, it's also Web three or, or 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 crypto, I should say, friendly, which a lot of other uh, <coughs> applications are not. Um, I think as well, moving you know investments into wallets. I think that's going to be part and parcel with tokenization. That's going to be a huge part. Being able to access things, you know, your your NAV, your um, the amount of investment that you have very easily uh, to be able to transfer sell um, is going to be very easy. And then I think most importantly, and something that I want to talk about maybe later on as well, is the AML KYC, as the anti money laundering and know your customer aspect of investing. Until we speed up. The ability to process that—it's um, going to kind of create a—it's—it's um, it's going to slow down the process of uh, of investing. It's kind of a, a limiting factor in terms of how how quickly you know investments can change hands. So um, you know we're working very very um, hard on that, particularly you know, using AI and, and machine learning applications and figuring out how to you know speed that up. So I think those those three things could really make this a lot easier for everybody. Yeah, Daniel, I saw you shaking your head about the AI of uh, the KY, uh, KYC AML. What, what is your yeah to there? touch on the KYC AML side? Um, that's something that we, you know, have dealt with over the years, just being in the space. And one of the reasons we kind of built NoRamp the way we did, um, which was an extremely hard way to to solve a certain issue, but um, we just saw the underlying utility of NFTs, but also the regulatory leeway of of non fungibles and how. Uh, they're classified as digital collectibles. Um, most of the NFT checkouts in the space, though, or pretty much actually all of them except ours, uh, legally are required to KYC buyers because these guys are simply taking their fiat, using that fiat to purchase crypto via you know, Circle, Exchange API, or Coinbase API, whatever, and then taking that crypto and using it to buy the NFT for the buyer and then sending the buyer the NFT. So as soon as you touch crypto, you're triggering all the KYC AML stuff technically. Um, so I think that was a huge thing that we had in mind from the beginning of, you know, and that's why we built NoRamp is so, you know, people could get their hands on if someone, you know, is purchasing an in-game digital asset or someone's purchasing, you know, a watch that whose ownership is represented through an NFT. Um, you technically don't need to touch crypto to, to trigger that transfer of the asset. So I think that side of things for us personally, has been a huge unlock and a lot of merchants are extremely happy to hear that their buyers aren't going to have to, you know, enter their social security number just to buy some, some skin in a game or to, to, to buy this watch just as in, you know, whatever, for whatever purpose. Um, but yeah, that's something that we've, you know, that, that's kind of given us a really, really good tailwind um, competing with some of these larger, way more heavily funded players. Um, and it's also, yep. I think for buyer journey at the end of the day, like people, People view crypto as this like super speculative, you know, kind of just sketchy, dodgy thing based on what the news always says about exchanges getting hacked and all this bad stuff all the time. And so when someone's entering into an ecosystem, if they are asked to put their social security number, they're like, you know, I remember I was trying to get my mom to purchase um, an NFT, you know, way back when just just because uh, my co-founder and I had built this like super fun game and there's a prize pool and you have a chance to win. So I was like, mom, you should you should try it. And um the KYC thing is what deterred her from even coming into our ecosystem. So I pretty much just like had to buy the NFT for her and send it to her. Um, but I think like yep. that's that's something that 
you know, deters a lot of people, like I said, from entering the space. And there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation needed on that side. Like there's there's technical solutions to the KYC AML problem, um, which I think has been just so overlooked over the years. So um, I'm glad, you know, to hear other other founders out there looking for um, technical ways to, to solve this problem and then just kind of like mitigate a lot of the, you know, just time and hassle that that it adds mm -hmm. to the user journey. Yeah, yeah. Michael, real quick, I wanted to talk, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about risk management. I mean, that's just part of like the sure. everyday, you know, kind of thinking for you. You know, what do you think are some of the key like risks and like ways to mitigate them when investing in an alternative assets? And like, you know, tell me about like, what are some of the things people should think about when considering risk management? Yeah, I think, I think risk management, an interesting topic when people who more likely than not, uh, who wants talking about it, have a little more level of sophistication and understanding. And when we're viewing it from a retail perspective, most of them don't, right? So most retail traders don't truly understand the intricacies of risk management, which is why Belay exists, right? Belay exists sole, solely for the purpose of being able to provide the retail person, the average person, the non-institution, the ability to protect themselves. And there are a lot of really interesting ways more sophisticated people can go about doing it. Um, I think what's interesting with the the alt area in particular, uh, opposed to like traditional finance where you know you can go to the derivative markets or whatever it is, is that uh, there really isn't that many options, right? I mean, there are there are a variety of things people can do, but it isn't as it isn't as robust as say a traditional equities market, and mm -hmm you're beginning to see a rise in, you know, in the, the crypto space and in some of the, the alt space in general, this sort of options markets and the ability to sell that liability and that risk off. I think what's really a roadblock for that evolving is the regulation, right? Uh, a lot of people who want to go out and buy and sell that, that risk off, that liability off or hedge it off, they have to do it through third-party systems or things that are outside the country or untested systems, uh, things that just really don't provide, don't instill confidence, right? That, that they're not proven, they're not tested. And, um, you know, I would love to be able to, to expand Belay into that alternative space. I know Rob and I brief, briefly talked about it. It's a very interesting space. And I think that there's definitely a lot of liability that can be hedged off. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the best way retail traders or retail in general, can view risk in, in, a, in a space that there really isn't a way to efficiently do a risk transfer is to really understand what they're buying and have conviction around it, right? Yeah. When, when there's no uh, risk transfer available or readily uh, and uh, you know, safely available, you have to truly have conviction in what you're buying. Um, you know, I know, especially in the more alt space, uh, people don't tend to always go back to what Warren Buffett says, but um, you know, there, there are two things he likes to say. One is it's chapter eight of the intelligent investor, uh, which is you got to have that conviction. You got to have that stomach when things go up, when things go down, we've got to really stick through this, the thick and thin, but also, you know, a lot of people say diversify. And he says, uh, don't put, you know, don't, don't put, instead of saying, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, put all of your eggs in one basket. Well, one. While we're on the topic of, uh, you know, regulation and stuff, I guess we could you know, go around and I mean, I guess we could start with Eric. I'd love to hear how, you know, I guess you guys at, at your company are 
um, I guess navigating the the regulatory paths, like the existing just state of regulation and stuff um, based on, you know, your market, things like that. So I think you could have a really long conversation about our accredited investor uh, re requirements. Um, and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of them. Uh, I think they're very paternalistic. Um, uh, but that said, we, we have to work within the existing regulatory framework. And so there are, um, I, I guess the way I would say it is today, our marketplace is uh, probably 90% accredited investor only. Uh, and what we're doing is we're continuing to look for, for ways to expand the non-accredited investment opportunities into alternative assets. And you know, it's, it's one thing for us to be doing it as a growing and expanding technology platform, but it's another thing for the largest asset managers in the world to be doing it. And, and that is, in fact, what they're doing. So whether it's Blackstone or KKR or Apollo, you see, you, or Hamilton Lane, you see them coming to market with 40 act funds that uh, non-accredited investors can can participate in. And I think that's the tip of the iceberg. They're the big dogs. And I think they'll continue to be the ones to, to really drive change in the industry, at least for the next, you know, kind of five years. But um, I, I, I'm probably going to mess this up because I haven't said it in a long time. But there, there's a there's a saying which says uh, uh, money, money can't make you smart but smart can make you money. And, and, you know, that that's the way I think about uh, re the regulatory framework. And I, and I think people um, at a minimum ought to be able to test in to be accredited if that's yep. what it takes. Real, real quick. So Rob, but I wanted to ask you a quick question about diligence on these assets and collectibles that you're acquiring and accumulating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, everything, this is really the biggest, one of the biggest drivers of, of interest in our platform. I think what's changed really dramatically with alternative assets and collectibles and, and touched on what I said earlier is that what used to be the typical sort of tangible check marks that you need when you acquire any of these assets. And that's, you know, significant provenance always contributes to value, rarity and scarcity contribute to value. All the things around authenticity are, are, are must haves. And that's part of like the checklist that we go through when we get any asset. But the bigger thing that we've kind of added on our side that comes with social listening and we're really understanding these asset classes is kind of a relevant score, which I think that we want to make sure anything that we get, and this goes for any collector, uh, especially the modern era of collectors where you have these 30-year-olds and 35-year-olds with a ton of money. A lot of them came out of crypto and they want to own tangible things. They don't just want something that checks those tangible boxes and checks all like the authenticity boxes. They need something that's relevant now, but it's going to be really relevant in the future. And I think that's what we've always looked at. When we when we acquire new assets so it could be something that's 60 million years old 65 million years old like a dinosaur but that's also something that you know everybody starts their journey in school or with like the thing they care about most with dinosaurs and it's something that has always been relevant from when you're three years old all the way, all the way to 80 years old it's always in the conversation to a certain degree so that's kind of like one of those things but then it goes to what's important now for those for that for our demo for the people that we go after that come to rally and, and are part of our community which a lot of times are very much like this call it's a lot of people who are very tech empathetic. They started a career at some point in the last decade or so, have a little bit of money to spend, but they're not billionaires at this point. So when they see things from their childhood that they know are valuable now, and they see the auction results, they see a lot of what's happening in the space around it with documentaries or with sort of the, the media that goes with it. You have somebody like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant. 
These are the things, or like a Ferrari Cesarosa, these are the things that um, somebody who grew up or came up in the 90s and is looking for something to spend right and, and looking for money to spend on something really interesting right now is going to gravitate towards. So that kind of social and that relevance score is a huge part of our diligence too. Because all the other stuff is kind of on paper already. If you go to any any auction house or any really legitimate legitimate collector, you know they have documentation that starts from the moment that like a car came off the assembly line or was hand built to now. And every oil change, every time it got gas, the real collectors keep that stuff. That's what I, I was I was wondering about the provenance. Like, how do you find? Like, I see these things getting listed and said, oh, this person owned it first, and it was like, or the, it came from this game, etc. Um, yeah. So I thought, you know, how how did you how do you get that provenance at this point? Yeah, I mean, there's there's like the equivalent of carbon dating for for a lot of different assets, and they could tell you from like a label on a bottle of wine when it came from, where it came from, what the temperature it was saved in. Like, there's all these elements that go with it that are kind of like above my pay grade to a certain degree. We keep really smart, awesome people around us who are usually the standard in any given industry. And anytime that we, when they early on, we were kind of trying to find stuff, but now when people come to us with stuff, which happens more often, whether it's partners or advisors or auction houses with people around us. They know we're only looking for something that has that level and that criteria and that checklist that's already done. So we'll get, you know, half of the cars that we have were owned by single or second buyers where part of like the joy of ownership for them was documenting every single thing that happened for that vehicle. So when we get that notebook that comes with the car that has all the original receipts that has sort of like the lineage and the, and the pictures that are dated from a specific time period that go with it, putting that little timeline together and that kind of like, you know, the beautiful mind style whiteboard of a million different things that patch it all together is a really, really easy story to sort of uh, compile and to put together. So we've been, I would say we've been lucky in that, but that's also where the best quality and the most important assets are. They're the ones that have that meticulous level of detail that goes with the original owner. And, and that stuff, now that collectibles have become so much more prevalent and so much more ubiquitous as an investment piece, the owners who have those things are making sure all those pieces are compiled before it goes to market way more often now than ever before. Eric, I had a quick question for you. I want to ask you, like, what is the customer profile of, of, of someone who's investing in alternative assets? Like, are you seeing any kind of certain trends in terms of who that who that customer is? You know, it's really it's really interesting and it's somewhat counter to counterintuitive. We certainly have a lot of customers on the on the younger end of the spectrum, call it 20 to 35 that are investing in crypto but our largest crypto investors are, are actually on the older end of the spectrum, kind of 50 to 65. Um, but then when you look at the traditional alternative segment, uh, VC, private equity, arts, collectibles, direct company investments, you know, that's going to skew, skew older. It's sort of 40 to 70. Uh, and the average ticket size is probably 10, 10 times what it is on the, on the average crypto front. So the, those are the demographics we see, and yeah, yeah, yeah I, I hear that. Uh, Shailen, I had one more question on 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 uh, for you, real quick. Was around um, you listen. You see a ton of companies. You're seeing, you know, you see investors. You see the companies. If you, uh, you know, if you were to put a VC hat on, uh, anything that you're excited about that's kind of in and around this, whether it's infrastructure or you know technology or anything in this fintech alt asset area that you're excited about, if you're an investor hat on. Oh boy, this is a loaded question because I'm going to talk my book a little bit. Um, you know, look, I think in this uh, picks and shovels area, which is what I would consider for medium to be in, uh, that's a great area. Uh, you know, our business has actually grown during crypto winter, which I don't think a lot of people can, can say. And the reason that has been the case is that there are very few people who understand 
what we do and can do what we do. There are even fewer people who can actually build the technology around it. You don't typically associate accounting and technology uh, together as two different skill sets. So I, I think that the back office for um, you know handling all of the use cases that have been discussed on this call, uh, uh, call today, um, that's a that's an amazing it's an amazing area. And of course, you know the intersection of AI uh, into crypto and how to make each of our businesses more efficient and you know level up against our competition. And that's gonna be key too. So, so that, that's my answer to that. Hey, Michael, any thoughts on that as well? Like any types of, any things within, in, in and around the FinTech alt asset space that you know, excites you if you were to put your uh, investor hat on? Things that excite me in the FinTech alt asset space? Yeah, uh, whether it's in infrastructure, assets specifically, whatever you think. Yeah, for me, particularly as most people know, or I should say should know is that most brokerage platforms are, are built on top of existing infrastructure companies, DriveWealth, Apex, Alpaca, et cetera. And they're the backbone of the industry. Uh, what I think is really exciting is getting to see those platforms begin to enter those spaces more. I think in the next few years, if we get to see some of the larger players, the one who actually provide the infrastructure to the large platforms, offering those platforms the ability to seamlessly offer alternative assets within their app, I think that's going to be a huge game changer because it's going to become extremely accessible directly to those demographics. Um, I think uh, public.com is a great example of this. They didn't get it through their infrastructure provider. They went out and did it on their own, but they have a variety of alternative assets they've begun to offer within their platform. And if those pieces of, uh, uh, of those investments uh, and those assets were offered through the infrastructure providers, I think it's going to be a game changer. Okay, great, guys. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I would. I wish we can go longer here, but we're uh, we're already running over time. But I really appreciate you guys all joining. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see more about what each of you guys are doing, what you're bringing to the table. I know we have up next a space tech panel. That's going to be a lot of fun. Everyone, uh, will I'll see you on there in a few minutes, and uh, we're going to keep it rolling. Thanks, guys. This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.